You're listening to E-Commerce Marketing School presented by Privy. And a big thank you to our co-sponsors of the show, Suna and Hashtag Paid. For too long, the process of finding the right influencer for your brand has been endless, mindless, soul-crushing scrolling. And then once you find the one, they don't even move the needle. Well, Hashtag Paid is putting an end to all of that. They're the first matchmaking tool for brands and creators. With Hashtag Paid, the process is three incredibly simple steps. Build your campaign, pick from 10 creators, hit the launch button, and bask in success. Hashtag Paid is basically a dating service for brands and influencers. Instead of dinner and overpriced drinks, you'll get ROI and a partner your audience trusts. Check them out at the link in the show notes. All right, welcome back. So a few months ago, I was starting to feel a little bit like George Costanza and Seinfeld with my my wallet. And uh, my brother-in-law was making fun of me and he pulled out his Ridge wallet. Hadn't seen it before. It was super slick. No room for the BS, just the essentials. And I pulled the trigger and honestly, there's no looking back. I couldn't recommend replacing your old leather wallet more for a Ridge. But this episode isn't about convincing you to switch wallets. It's about new acquisition channels. So I happen to be here with the CMO of Ridge, Connor McDonald. Uh, so Connor, welcome. Thanks for uh, making the time. Yes. Thank you, Ben. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So I saw that you and the team have been doing a ton of an experimentation uh, when it comes to customer acquisition. So I wanted to bring you on. We can go deeper on on how you think about that. But let's start at the top. So, uh, you know, fill us in. How did Ridge get started? Sure. Yeah. So Ridge was launched on Kickstarter by a father and son team, Daniel, who's his son and, and his dad, Paul Kane. Daniel was very early to like e-commerce entrepreneurship. He had launched, he was originally his first e-commerce business. He was selling on like Reddit forums and taking payment through PayPal. So he was like pre Shopify, pre D 2 C, just like really understood that there were online communities that were like willing to purchase items online. In college, he started a couple Kickstarter campaigns. He started with watches and sunglasses. In his senior year, he launches the Ridge Wallet. So this is 2013. The Ridge was different than everything he had done before. It was like a very unique product. And that was really his goal. Having started with watches and sunglasses, he always says like he realized everybody was going to do watches and sunglasses. So he wanted something that like would really stand out. So settled on the Ridge, a lot of really early organic demand. So about four, three, four years go by and they're just running the business very organically. He hires a couple friends from his childhood. They're all living together in LA, shipping wallets out of the house. They take that business to like $6 million a year in 2016. Incredibly high MER. Daniel was like kind of running Facebook ads on his own. And those were all like just way more efficient than anybody uh, is seeing today. And then I came on in early 2017 with a couple other people when they really started to prioritize growth. So... That year we did, so they did 6 million in 2016. We did 15 the next year. We did 20 in 2018 and we did 30, 50. Wow. Last year we did 75. This year we'll get up above a hundred. So I've been around for the majority of the growth and then really just benefit from like this really organic, well-differentiated product that Daniel and Paul created. It's an incredible story. I mean, I, I actually love that you called out like they were early on like posting in communities on, on Reddit and stuff and e-commerce. I think that, you know, that like knack for finding groups of target customers online is probably what made Ridge successful early before they brought in a professional marketing team. That's incredible growth. I have to believe like with everything happening that, you know, acquisition and customer acquisition with the numbers that you're talking about 
like you must be trying new stuff, right? So how have things evolved since you joined in terms of acquisition channels? Yeah, totally. So I describe it in almost two phases. When we first joined in 2017, we really focused on like marketing diversification. We were on Facebook, we were on Google. They were relatively small percentages of the budget. We were doing a lot of like native native media buying with people like we were doing Barstool and, and Chive and Dude, I Want That and things like that, like direct media buys with publishers. We were doing influencer. We were buying native email newsletters. We were on Taboola and Outbrain and things like that. So really diversified. We were on Snapchat. We were one of the first direct response advertisers on Snapchat. Really diversified because, you know, Ridge is a product, very broad, kind of addressable market. If we could get out in front of a net new, largely male audience, cost effectively, like it would tend to work. And it was, we were just basically turning switches on for the first probably two years or so and saw a ton of wins across all those things. That's how I described kind of the first leg of growth was like, oh yeah, hey, we've got this product that people want. Let's just get it in front of more people. Uh, in hindsight, we probably could have focused more on something like a Facebook, like we really could have scaled. Given the results we were seeing at the time, it's like, who knows if it was really the right decision in terms of focusing on diversification. But yeah, that's how we approach it early on. I'd say the last two years, essentially, everything post 50 million, we talked about reaching that scale. It's been about going deeper on the channels. We got on Linear TV in 2019 and we were doing a couple other things. We got on Wonderkin and things like that. And I felt like that was kind of our, the last meaningful channels that we could kind of diversify into. Whereas now we're just going deeper. So deeper on direct mail, deeper on Google search, deeper on Facebook. We've invested a lot more time and energy into content creation because that's really what I define as going deeper on Facebook. It's just, oh, how do you get five to six to seven to 10 to 12 new ads a week so that you can constantly be testing and hitting new audiences and just keeping creative fresh. So that's, I think that was the key to getting from 50 to 75. I think it'll be the key from to getting to up above a hundred this year. And yeah, so anyway, it, it's better creative specifically. Yeah, so you think creative um, like is the key to getting up above a hundred for you guys? I think better creative has been like the, is like the main point for scaling Facebook and Instagram, which is still gonna be the channel that we're gonna be able to scale the most. We're doing a lot of stuff on Google search and shopping in order to get the most out of those platforms. We're doing a lot on direct mail, better segmentation, things like that. Better, like, I guess that's better creative, better mailers, figuring out what sort of mailer is the most cost effective way to kind of generate the intent for a purchase. So going deeper looks different across all sorts of channels, but in terms of where we've seen the most growth the last 18 months has been more creative, more iteration on Facebook and Instagram and on TikTok as well in order to scale those. And those are the channels we've been able to scale like three, 400% year over year. Wow, that's amazing. And like you're the CMO, right? So you're responsible for growth, I assume. And the numbers are just getting bigger and bigger. So how do you kind of think about experimentation, right? Like, is there still room to for you and the team to try things and fail? Yeah. Yeah. So I always, what I tell the team is that, you know, because of the scale we're at, one of our biggest advantages is being able to fail and being able to invest enough dollars and, and, you know, invest the time and energy in order to be confident in even something failing. I think early on, you know, we might've been more budget conscious and, you know, tested $1,500, $2,000. Like I remember getting, you know, testing a new platform or something and, you know, giving it $5,000. 
And I think today there are plenty of things where if you spend $5,000, you won't have gotten the learnings necessary, or at least you'll increase your likelihood of getting the, the channel to perform with a larger budget. So we're experimenting all the time. We're testing new platforms and we're testing like media buys with new publishers constantly with the idea that we're going to fail on a lot of them and that we want those, those ones that perform, we want to be able to retain those and grow those. And over time, we just have like a, a larger, more diversified part of our marketing mix, like of things that have been proven to perform. So I could give some examples. We've been focused a lot. I mean, direct mail was one, like the way that we kind of incrementally grew direct mail. We were doing it just on a retention basis early on. And that was like, I think it was probably a 25 or $30,000, like initial investment in terms of like, let's just hit some of these like lapsed customers, people who've purchased from us, but are no longer engaging with our emails and things like that. And that performed really well. And then we started working with an agency to help scale direct mail for prospecting. That was a larger investment. It was $75,000. It was like, and we could wow. do that knowing that it could go really poorly. That ended up working very well. So we, we, direct mail is something that we've been able to count on to perform at different parts of the year. But we've had other experiences like we'll do a big buy with like a podcast network that won't perform. And we will have spent enough to know that it wasn't just some like, oh, we sponsored a bad episode or it was a bad ad read. It was like, this thing's not going to work for us longer term. So having the ability to take those losses because of our scale is like, like I said, one of our biggest advantages. Yeah. And I mean, it's awesome to hear all this stuff. I think one of the questions that I'd love to understand from you is when you experiment with a new channel, is it always direct response? Like, are you always measuring sales as the impact of that? Or is some of this stuff more brand oriented as well? What I always say is like, we have a couple channels that are like probably more brand oriented than others. Like I'd put influencer in that bucket. I'd put TV in that bucket to some degree. And we will still measure everything on a direct response basis. So like we're still really yeah. putting in the, the time and energy to try to deduce like a CPA or a return on ad spend, but we won't hold something like you know, a certain influencer buy that we feel is is a value add to the brand, we might be paying a premium for that. So we're not going to look at it with the same kind of performance expectations that we would a Facebook or even like a influencer who we don't feel is as much of a value add to the brand. So we're not paying as much of a premium. So it might perform better. So just understanding that trade off, like, and that's what we think. We're like, there's value add in terms of like driving revenue. And then there's like some sort, there's a little bit more intangible of a value add in terms of brand. And just depending on how we see that split, we'll kind of adjust our expectations. But on average, we're still making most of our decisions based on a performance basis. Yeah, that's good to know, right? Because I, like, I was doing research to prep for this and I saw you've kind of touched on some of this in other interviews you've done. Snapchat, TV, uh, you mentioned Taboola earlier in this episode. I think I saw you were experimenting with live intent too, right? right. I know that you're doing some stuff around brand partnerships, which I want to talk about. So like, clearly you've got a, uh, an analytics foundation that, you know, does let you make decisions, even if it's not entirely based off of, you know, the ROAS, which I think is important for people to hear. Right. Yeah. And it's nice. The ones that like, a lot of the ones you mentioned are like, can be measured on a click basis, Snapchat, Taboola, Outbrain, Live Intent, Power Inbox, Google Display, things like that. Like those are all pretty, if you're driving value, you'll be able to see some of it on a, on like a click attributable return. So we were like, we were hyper aware of that for like the last couple of years. 
just trying to measure things with like a standard attribution model so that we could compare a Snapchat to a live intent or even an influencer to a direct mail or something like that. So yeah, and that's kind of what I mean in terms of like wanting to measure everything with like a standard attribution model and like have be able to apply the same kind of performance lens to any given channel. But then depending on like the quality of the read or whether we feel like it's that that brand value add, then we can kind of adjust our our expectations or what we deem successful from there. Yeah. And if these are overlapping channels, like if you're in terms of the timeline, like TV, right, versus direct mail, are you just driving these things to different landing page URLs? Is that how you're measuring it? To some degree, we do try to, depending on the channel and how much overlap we feel there is, we try to like isolate it. So like TV, we launched in kind of an off period in 2019. Uh, and the way we did TV is like we have the vanity URLs. We were getting some kind of link attributable data. We were using post-purchase surveys. We really, that we launched it at a time where like we weren't scaling Facebook. Like we thought Facebook would remain pretty consistent for a couple of weeks. For something like a, you know, if we're doing a native buy with like CNN yeah, and we're just looking at a link, like a something on a link basis, I'm, we're not as concerned about like, oh, we're capturing value via the CNN media buy that like was actually generated through something else we were doing in this period. Yep. We do use an MTA platform, so some of that gets solved for, but just trying to isolate some of those tests has been important. Cool. So let's dive into the post-purchase kind of brand partnership stuff that you've been doing. I know you're working with Disco, which is a, a Shopify app. Give us like the high level on, you know, how you you think about the strategy for brand partnerships and post-purchase advertisements. Yeah, totally. So this is something that like, I feel pretty strongly about for the last couple of years as something like a Facebook gets, at the time, this was, I started thinking about this in 2020. Yeah, 2020. And, the idea was, oh, Facebook's just going to continue getting expensive. It's going to price people out. Like people are not going to be able to acquire customers online just from a cost basis. But what's happened since is Facebook's just gotten much less efficient. So that's kind of been like pulled forward in terms of like somebody's ability to acquire customers via the Facebook channel. But at the time I was like, okay, if things are going to get more expensive, it's going to brands are creating a ton of value in terms of like generating intent or identifying who's willing to be, who's purchasing things online right now. So we better distribute like those customers or those users across brands. There's just that there's like a total much more sustainable kind of channel to have there. Uh, what I'd also say at the time was like, it's unfortunate in a lot of ways that like the best place to find a new D2C brand is like your Instagram feed. It's like, cool. Yeah. Instagram's a great place to find brands, but it's all, it also means that people are just shelling out cash to reach customers. So the idea that like brands could recommend other brands and other products just seemed kind of like a white space. We were doing it a little bit. We've been working with, we were swapping essentially native emails with like brands like Manscaped or Vincero. We did a couple others just in terms of like, oh, how can we drive new customers via our customer email list hmm. and swapping it with kind of complimentary brands was like a really great way to do that. We saw a ton of success. It required quite a bit of legwork and depending on the brand, there was like a yeah. lot of approvals and things like that. So it's not something we've really scaled, but it was around that time that we uh, started talking with co-op who's now become disco and they had like a very similar vision in terms of these brands or all these brands that are acquiring all these customers can better distribute that attention across complimentary brands and everybody kind of wins. So it was like, kind of a no-brainer, serving the product recommendations on the thank you page, 
I always say is like <laughs> probably the most prime real estate in e-commerce. The fact Agreed. that there's hundreds of thousands or millions of customers hitting these thank you pages and that we can get in front of them. I'll do that all day. So yeah. we recommend products on our page and that's like we're accruing credits that like allow us to get recommended on other people. And then we've just, we've basically been buying as much co-op, they're sorry, uh, disco ad space as we can, just because it feels very undervalued. And that's just such a high value user at that point. I love it. Yeah. I mean, I, in previous episodes, share your sentiment that post-purchase real estate is as valuable as it gets. So totally with you there. So do you kind of have like parameters on the types of brands that you're willing to kind of reveal on your own post-purchase in order to get those credits? That was like, when we were exploring like this idea that seemed to be, that was more of a concern with other platforms. There were like, <laughs> we don't need to name any names, but there were a couple that yeah. were like just a little bit, it felt like the brands were less qualified or less high quality. Like people that I would feel hesitant to immediately recommend after somebody decides to purchase a Ridge wallet. Because for us, somebody decides to shell out $100 for a wallet. It's not a, a impulse buy at that point, in my opinion. Trust and uh, kind of like respectability are just important for us to maintain as a brand. Yeah. So the idea that on co-op, it's like pretty audited and there's a pretty high standard for who actually gets recommended on those. We feel much better about it. And we'll go through the, the brands that are being recommended, but overall it's like a bunch of brands that we feel are, are a good fit for Ridge. Yeah, I think it's amazing to hear. Like, I think it's also really cool that you started by seeing some success around brand partnerships and the pain around what it took to actually execute those yourself. And that, you know, this is now becoming a, a sustainable acquisition channel for Ridge. That's awesome. Well, Connor, this was great. I feel like I learned a ton about your approach to experimentation and, you know, some of the channels that that you guys have found success with and learning about post-purchase too and, and where that fits in in the strategy. So really, really appreciate you coming on and, you know, the numbers that you're talking about. It's amazing growth and, and wish you and the team best of luck crossing that next milestone. Yeah, thank you, Ben. This is great.